All right. Good morning, everyone. Morning, morning, morning. I have no idea how long this is going to be. I've authored this, but I'm edit. So uh, bear with me this morning. Listen, let's show our appreciation for Nathan and, and Gary for the fine meal that they prepared this morning. So thank you, guys. And anyone else? I don't know if I missed anyone else. So <clears throat> this is, uh, I, I, uh, I stepped forward last Sunday morning when we still didn't have a speaker. So I'm saving you guys from some type of panel discussion today, okay? Not that I'm just kidding. So actually, you know, just what I, I, I felt kind of last weekend and then stepped forward to prepare something this week to share was, was really the, the general topic is, is how do we live in an environment that is increasingly hostile to Christians, right? Our nation is, is increasingly becoming anti-Christian, and that's unique for us. And uh, praise the Lord that that's unique for us. We are as close as we've ever been, or let's just say this, there, there are more examples happening in our society right now than what they've ever been historically, where our government is actively looking to penalize Christians in our nation in various ways. And so I sense that's only going to increase until a major and authentic revival takes place in our country. And so with God, that, that's certainly possible. And I hope we are all praying in that direction with some regularity. But if that move of God does not take place, then we, who are part of the kingdom of God, will still victori- victoriously march forward here in America. Okay, so we may be in for a change, but... There's still hope, lots of hope. We've enjoyed a different history here in our country than Christians living in other nations. You know, the majority of the followers of Christ throughout history have had to live under systems of government that regularly try to threaten them, disadvantage them, suppress them in some way or shape, and in some cases even try to eliminate them and execute them. You know, if you look at the characters in the Bible, most of them lived in these types of environments, right? Abraham was a loner, right? He was he was he was called out by God in a in a in a world at that time where that was large that was most that was completely pagan outside of of what God called Abraham to. Moses lived in Egyptian world and then in a wilderness, and you you know led the Israelites in the wilderness. We're going through the patriarchs now in terms of you know Jacob and, and even Joseph they were living in in places where they were in the the vast minority and it was a hard situation for them and then you fast forward to to the book of acts and and the early christians lived in this environment under the empire in rome and and i'm sure many of you know the stories of the early persecution of christians and really how gross it was they filled stadiums they filled, like we fill stadiums to watch football games. They filled stadiums to watch Christians die in torturous, crude, gruesome way. And it was their sport. And we just don't have that background or experience in our country. Praise God that we don't. You know, in China today, you, you can only go to government-approved churches with government-approved messaging as it relates to Christ. Now, there are tons of believers that don't do that. But if you are going to go to a sanctioned church in China, that is your choice. And they approve what you're going to talk about from the Bible 
as a pastor before you say it. In Pakistan, Christians aren't allowed to go to universities there, and the only jobs accessible to them today are jobs picking up trash, cleaning things, just sanitary jobs are the only ones that they're eligible for. They are, they are not eligible for any other jobs or to earn a living in any other way. Now, there are other people that, that skirt that system, right? Figure out ways to do that. But that's the only, by law, legal thing they're allowed to do. And in Saudi Arabia and a few other Middle East countries, it is illegal to be a Christian right now. But we've had much different experiences in America. You know, we've enjoyed advantageous conditions and even laws uh, from the very beginning of our nation, right? Our laws are based on biblical understanding of absolute right and absolute wrong. The Ten Commandments are a backbone for many of our laws that are on record. We have tax codes that favor a healthy marriage structure as presented in the Bible. We have tax codes that give, give favor to churches, right? So we've incentivized churches that they don't have to pay taxes in our country, but private businesses do, publicly traded businesses do, and individuals do, but churches are exempt from that. The holidays we celebrate, where universally everyone is off, are Christian holidays, right? We get time off. Every, every company in America gets time off for, for Easter well, not, not, not as much anymore, but Christmas for sure, there, there are times. These are public holidays, and they're centered around Christian events. Our prominent universities in this country, the earliest ones, including almost all of the Ivy League schools, were started at schools of theology to train men in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they've, of course, veered way off from that original course today. The idea that all men are created equal, was unique in paving the way for gender, ethnic, and socioeconomic people from different genders, ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds having equal opportunity in our country. If you were to go to and testify in court today, what would they make you do before you said anything? Put your hand on the Bible and swear that you're going to tell the truth. We can worship anywhere in our country. 50 states, we can worship anywhere in our country. And most of us not have any fear that somebody's going to come through the door and harm us for gathering together in the name of Jesus. We enjoy those things in our country, and not everyone does. But we are progressing in this country towards something different. You know, about the 1930s, probably, there was an initial movement uh, to really challenge Christian values and morals, and a biblical worldview in this country. And as that gained momentum, we, we kind of saw uh, us enter into a post-Christian society, which just means that, that some of the dominant values and cultural behaviors and, a, and, and a, a prevalent worldview are not shaped by the Bible. That's kind of what a post-Christian world means or environment means. It was marked with indifference towards Christianity, more and more people were trying to boldly challenge and publicly challenge the moral positions that Scripture puts forth and proclaims and, and, and the thought structures that shaped the founding of our country were beginning to be challenged more and more. And now we fast forward to 2023 and we've really seen, seen this accelerate a lot 
even in the past five years or so, but it's, you know, certainly this century, we've seen examples that uh, we're just seeing a rise in, in anti-Christian activities, meaning, meaning people trying to penalize and harm Christians in this country. And don't get me wrong, the persecution we're facing here is nothing like many of the examples I've already shared that, that believers endure in other nations. But it's different for us, and it's only going to look more and more as time progresses. Most likely, it's going to look more and more like what some of our fellow brothers and sisters endure and persevere through th throughout the world. Just, just in the past few months, in fact, this happened, I think, within the past month, a California court fined a church $1.2 million in its state for not observing the state mask mandates during COVID. $1.2 million because they chose to meet. And if people didn't want to wear a mask when the state said everybody that's anywhere together had to wear a mask, they were fined for that. There was a case in the last two batches last year of the Supreme Court cases. One was Shirtlift versus Boston. They came before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States of America to settle this, guys. This is crazy. So, in, a, in, a, in Boston, groups can publicly fly their flag at a, uh, the, the, the town office in, or the city office in Boston. Your group can fly your flag. Now, you get a special day, right? So, 284 groups were allowed to fly their flag. BL, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, the rainbow flag, had their day. They all had their days, right? 284 different groups had their day. Christians tried to fly the Christian flag for one day, and the Boston would not let them. And it went to the Supreme Court, and it took the Supreme Court of the United States to say, no, if you're going to let all these other groups do it, then you need to let the Christians do it as well. That should have been settled first court, uh, the first level of court, and it wasn't. It had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to settle that. Also, there was a case, Carson versus Macon. In the state of Maine, in some of the regions of Maine, there's not a publicly operated high school for students to go to in certain districts. So Maine, the state of Maine, has a rule that they provide tuition assistance and help with with families to be able to travel or send their kid to the closest school, or you could pick a school to send them to in your district that's not publicly operated, so a private school. Most private schools in our country are Christian private schools. And so Maine said, we are not going to pay to send kids to Christian schools using public funds. And that, course, that case also had to be settled at the Supreme Court now, thankfully, the Supreme Court ruled in the side of Christians in both of these, but it's just remarkable that it got there. So, so ultimately, the Supreme Court said that Maine could not discriminate against families that wanted to send their kids to Christian private schools if, if kids were being paid or reimbursed to send to a different type of private school, right, or a different school. So all these are recent examples of, of how our country is and government forces are are trying to stack the deck against Christians in our country. More and more through our legislation, immorality is being rewarded and morality is being penalized. Now there are several characters in the Bible that find them, found themselves in places 
under governments and, and nation states who oppose God. And probably the best and shining example of how to remain faithful to God in such a place is probably Daniel. So that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Daniel. And I just want to, I'm, we're kind of just going to glance through the whole book, but I'm just going to pull out some verses that really show off Daniel's heart attitude and what he followed out and what he acted out in an in environment. Just to set the stage, refresh the memories, or perhaps you haven't read Daniel, if, if you may be here today or listening and never read the book of Daniel, but Daniel said in the time where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of, of Babylon came and besieged Jerusalem, and after that he had conquered it, you know, by squeezing it out, right? And that's how they fought a lot of wars back then. You just circled and didn't let anything enter out, and then they waved the white flag when they couldn't take it anymore. So it was a really patient situation to overtake a, 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 a country or nation. So Nebuchadnezzar did that to Jerusalem. Jerusalem surrendered, and so then he had, he had taken captive the, um, the Israelites, or at least the southern kingdom, and so many of them were then taken back to the capital. In fact, the first few verses of, of, of Daniel we hear King Nebuchadnezzar's declaration to his officers. I want you to find the most noble, the best, the smartest, the brightest, the very best that this, this that Jerusalem has to offer and bring them back and train them up in my court. And so Dan, Daniel, and we know a few others, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those were at least four of the named folks that, that, that were captured and brought in and trained, and they were to serve the king in some capacity, serve close to the king, and Daniel is in this group. And he says that we are going to, let's see, in verse 4, he said, uh, we're going to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So similar to what Joseph went through in Egypt, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you know, in our country, we kind of have, a, if you want to come, you can, still, you can still live in your culture and celebrate your own culture as long as you fit in with everybody else. But during this time, there was no room for that. It was like, no, you are going to forsake what you're used to, and we're going to make you one of us um, in every single way. And that's what the Egyptians uh, did to Joseph in many ways in, in, in culturizing him. And, of course, we've, we've looked at somehow he remained faithful to God through that. And Daniel had to do, go through the same thing. And look at Daniel 1, verse 8. After, after this decree and after Daniel was one of the ones brought back we see a but but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank so the first thing that sticks out to me about Daniel is he just had resolve right if you look at the definition of resolve it means a firm determination to decide firmly on a course of action so firm is a key word here and that's that's an example for us to follow as well. We need to have resolve that we're going to follow after God, even if it becomes more difficult, even if it's not easy. It starts with a firm determination in each of us that we are going to follow after God. And it, be, it will become hard because there may be situations where fear and anxiety rise up in us, no doubt. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, we see their testimony and say, hey, if God doesn't deliver us, you know, he's able to, but if he doesn't, we're still worshiping him. But it's still, still a little anxiety in you when you start to feel the heat of those flames. Or you start to see ten lions that you're getting ready to be dropped into. 
okay? I mean, your heart rate's going to accelerate. That's Any human is going to have that reaction, okay? But we can overcome those anxieties and fears with a faith in God, a real hope in God, a confidence in Him. The key to that is do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. God's Word tells us that more perhaps than any other phrase in all the Bible. Even I love you. There's more instances of God telling us, do not fear, or one of his messengers telling us that, right? 90% of the encounters that men have with angels in the Bible, the very first words out of the angel's mouth is, have no fear, fear not, do not fear. Mary, Daniel, John, Paul. Tons of times. So, understand that. Fear not. Isaiah 41.10 God tells us directly, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So that reality, that understanding has to work deep inside of us. It needs to anchor us. We don't know what the future holds. We can't predict tomorrow. But if we know the character of God, that he can be trusted until the very end, then we can have resolve. We need to teach that resolve in our households, too, to our wives and our children and our siblings. We need to become a people of endurance and perseverance and steadfastness. And unfortunately, because of the life we now enjoy in America, we're behind in in those character traits because our society is set up for us to find the easiest way through something when something becomes difficult. America is set up to avoid hardship. You know, and I'm not talking about religious hardship. I'm just talking about if something's difficult, we just find an easier way to do it, right? And so we need to work hard to become people of endurance and perseverance. So Daniel took the attitude that he was going to follow after God regardless of anything else. And then he says to his leader, the man in charge of him, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, test, test us, right? Test your servants for 10 days. So he's willing to put his, his, uh, his money and his, his life where his mouth was. He put himself in a position right here. So what he asked basically is he said, look, I don't want any of the food portions. I want to st- continue to eat uh, kosher and according to, to, to Jewish tradition and regulations and so forth. And they told him, well, you're going to get scrawny if that's all you're eating. You know, you're, you're, and then we're going to get in trouble. And he said, all right, test us. And so he was putting himself in a position where God had to come through for him. And he had a confidence that God was going to do that because he was being faithful. What he was doing was being faithful to God. And he was in a position where God had to come through for him because he was being faithful. And that's where his confidence, it wasn't, he wasn't putting God to the test on something that, that didn't have anything to do with God. He was putting God to the test on something that God had asked the Israelites to do and commanded them to do. That's important. So the world and its systems, as they increasing, the world and its systems, they just hate God. We were told that. Jesus said, listen, the reason they hate you is because they hate me. He was plain and clear when he said that. So we need to take courage to forsake the broad and easy path in order to pursue righteousness. And that's going to take an intentional determination to walk faithfully in a culture that's now incentivizing lawlessness, sexual immorality, and corruption. We are incentivizing those things in our nation. 
That's the easy way. You don't have to try to, to find ways to do that right now. You have to try to, to avoid that. And then Daniel actually did it. He did these things. He was faithful. So our determination, our resolve has to lead to consistent and faithful action before God. Let's flip, if you will, forward to chapter 6. This is the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. Let me start with reading verse 10. So here's, here. well, let me set it up first. So what happened is these guys were jealous of Daniel. He began to interpret some dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar. He got promoted and he got prom- you know, positions they wanted and things they wanted and notoriety they wanted. And so these guys come together and they say, we got to get Daniel out of here. How do we do it? And their best, their best plan to get rid of Daniel was to come up with something that would penalize Daniel for following after his God. After his God. That was it. What a reputation this man had. And it wasn't just a false reputation. I mean, they just like, he didn't cheat on his wife. He didn't steal this. He didn't do it. The only thing we can find him is, is he's going to follow after his God. So we got to find him something. That's what it says right here. This is uh, verse 5. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Wow. Young men, may that be your dream in life. That nobody else can find any complaint against you unless it is connected to something related to the God you serve. Man, that would be awesome to be able to leave that on your tombstone with honesty. (laughs) Or somebody else write that about you. Amazing. So verse 10, so these guys go to the king and they say, listen, you know, if people, if people um, bow down or, or worship somebody other than you, then they need to be punished. Yeah, that sounds great, right? He just stroked his ego, he signs it. So this is what verse 10 says. When Daniel knew that that document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This was his habit. This is what he did every day. He wasn't going to change it because now his life was in jeopardy or his well-being was in jeopardy. He was going to continue to be faithful to God. He did it. Even if there was real danger as a result of that. For us, right now, and even if things get more difficult in our country, doing it, faithfully following God, is going to look a lot like reading our Bible in our homes every single day. It's going to look like praying secretly every single day. It's going to look like being patient and serving our families every single day. It's going to look like doing our best at our place of employment or school every single day. It's going to look like developing a thankful heart every single day. It's going to look like strengthening our self-control in what we say, what we look at, and how we walk our lives out every single day. If we have the resolve to follow God, we do these things. We're doing them now. Some of us have been doing it for decades. We need to continue to do that, even if it gets more difficult. Flip back to chapter 1, if you will. Another characteristic of Daniel living in the way, in the society, or the type of society 
that he lived in that was hostile to, towards followers of God. Verse 17. As for these four youths, that was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We need to fill ourselves with the truth of God's word and apply it to living in a faithful way. Basically, the Bible defines wisdom as the, 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 the beginning of wisdom is starts with fearing God. So the beginning of wisdom starts with knowing God. And we know God today most accurately through the scriptures. Now, wisdom leads to right thinking and right acting according to God's ways. If you're looking for an overall definition, it's right thinking and right acting according to God's ways. So Daniel was filled with wisdom. He, he set himself to learn wisdom, but it also says that he learned the literature, right? What literature are we talking about, okay? Well, certainly he might have had access to the Hebrew scriptures there, but we already knew what Nebuchadnezzar's game plan was from earlier in chapter 1. He said, we need to teach him the literature of the Chaldeans, right? So Daniel understood and acquired knowledge in the environment that he was living in. And we can do the same. We need to understand the ways of those that oppose us. I mean, Paul wrote in his letters that he didn't want the believers to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. I think he said that phrase like in two different letters. I forget which two, but, but he said, I do not want you to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Now, Jesus told us very plainly what the devil's strategy is, right? He says the devil's the father of lies. So... One of his main strategies is lying. But he also said that the devil came to steal and to kill and to destroy, right? So we know that the schema, it can, it can be dressed up a little bit differently, but we know the devil's strategy is to lie, steal, kill, and destroy us as believers. Destroy all humanity, but destroy us particularly as believers. So we need to be aware of what's going on around us as it relates to those strategies, right? In fact, Probably the number one lie that America embraced that cracked the foundation that we're seeing all the results of all of this other stuff happening today is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's a way of saying that all lies have validity. If, you, if you're going to say there's no such thing as absolute truth, it's another way of saying that then the lies I'm about to tell you have equal validity as is anything else in the world. And now we're, we're reaping the fruit of that, of embracing that idea as a nation 50 years ago or a little bit longer. We're reaping the fruit because now, how many, how many awards were given out in the past 18 months? Women of the year given to men. Legitimately given to men. And the people that did it weren't laughing about it. Like, we can, we could crack, I mean, Time Magazine said our women of the year is a male dressed up as a woman last year. Because there's no such thing as absolute truth, according to them. We have a fixation in our country now on race and gender and sexual orientation defining our true identity instead of what God told us in the very beginning of this book that God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. 
The institution of family is inadequate and needs to be subservient to the state. We're seeing laws being passed right now where things can be done, permanent alterations can be done to children and parents can be kept 100% in the dark. They don't have the right to stand in the way and they don't have the right to influence the, the choices of their children. Those things are fruit of there's no such thing as absolute truth. Also, a strategy is going to be stealing, right? The devil's all about stealing our witness, stealing our purity, stealing our self-worth. You know, we're all human. We're all going to fail. And there's redemption when we do. But it's also the church in America and our country has had its reputation diminished by the number of moral failures from prominent leaders, recognized leaders in our, in our country, right? Um, that doesn't help. That's the devil stealing. Also destroying, right? The patterns and ideas that God established for a healthy, a prosperous, and a flourishing community, the devil wants to destroy those things, right? He wants to destroy the idea and concept that you can have the best way to have a healthy society is to have one husband, one wife raising children. Even if they're unbelievers, it's still healthier than the alternative of single parenting or abandoned children or, or any of those other things. Turn to chapter 2, if you would. So chapter 2 deals with a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and Nebuchadnezzar is, you got, I mean, yes, he went through a time where he was a cow for seven years, but he's pretty smart, actually, because when he had this dream that bothered him, he, he came to his, his uh, magicians and, and he said, look, I want you to interpret this dream. And they're like, all right, well, tell it to us. He's like, I'm not going to tell it to you because you're going to make something up, you know, and it's going to sound good to me probably. So he says, you need to tell me the dream I had. And then I know you have its interpretation. And they're like, whoa. And so then he says, all right, your life is on the line. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill you all. That bothered Daniel, right? He went and he asked his friends, we need to start praying. Like our lives could be on the line too, but the, all everyone else's is, he's like, just ask God to give us. And he did. God showed Daniel what the dream was. So he comes, look at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch. Arioch was um, kind of the middleman between him and the king and, and could get him an audience there, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, right? He went into the to Arioch and he said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I'll show the king the interpretation. So guys, as all this stuff's going on around us, we need to care for those who think and act differently than we do. We can't just see them as a group of people that we need to stay away from at all costs. Now, there are times when we should avoid them, okay? Right? Right? You know, last weekend, I don't know if it happened, not I heard there were plans, but last weekend, lots of youth in Chicago went and were, you know, roughing people up and, and vandalizing things. That's a situation we don't need to be there and say, you need Jesus right at that moment, right? It's probably not the best time to be telling that thing to, to be telling that type of message. So there are times we need to remove ourselves um, uh, temporarily, but we also 
need to be building relationships and having conversations, honest conversations with those that hate God. You know, most of the people, they say there are 2.2 roughly Christian, 2.2 billion Christians in the world today, and they say there's 1.9 billion Muslims in the world today. More than half of each of those are just nominal. They're just that's it. Somebody asked them a question and they said, oh, I'm a Christian or I'm, I'm Islamic because my dad, I'm Muslim because my dad and mom are Muslim, right? They're not actively following out. So even, even people that are unbelievers, we're going to find plenty of them that are, that's just been their experience and they're not necessarily hostile towards Christians. They're just ignorant and they haven't had that. And these are the ones that are, you know, the ripest for us to be building relationships with. And, and having influence over. As Paul told us, how can they believe unless they hear? How can those believe in God unless they hear? And we are the ones that make sure they hear. So we need to be building relationships. We need to see that, we need to see that these are people with souls created in the image of God, and we have hope for them. There's always going to be that opportunity, even amongst those who, who proclaim to hate us. I mean, remember... Remember, we just went through the, the, the scene at the cross, right? Jesus went from riding in in a donkey and everybody saying, Hallelujah, Hosanna to the Son in the highest of that same people. Most of the same people saying, Crucify him. To then, about 40 days later, several of those people listened to Peter's sermon and became lifelong believers, right? So there were a lot of people, okay, more like dozens of people that went through that. Hosanna to the Son of the Highest, yeah, now crucify him six days later to what must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. And they went and got baptized. There's a lot of people that just go along to get along. Those are the ones we're looking for. Recently, my family had an opportunity to um, build a relationship with, an, with, uh, an, um, uh, with, with somebody who just through an extracurricular activity with someone who um, was raised in a 100% non-Christian environment, just hadn't had any much interactions with Christians. As hard as you might think that is in America, it's still possible. Um, and so after you know, spending time with this person and getting to know them for, for a few months uh, and understanding a little bit about their background or so forth, and understanding that the extracurricular activity was, was a Christian activity we were taking part in, we asked, why did you join this, knowing what it was, you know, and knowing where you came from? And they said, this person said, well, I was raised and told that Christians were hateful people, they were bigoted, they were judgmental, and so I just wanted to see for myself if that was right. And so we said, well, what did you find out? And said, that wasn't right. That hasn't been my experience at all. And so we weren't the only family they got to know and, and, and so forth, but, but certainly watching us and others and interacting with us and having a real relationship with them changed that perspective, they were told. Two more to wrap up real quick. Um, chapter 4, verse 27. We must not shrink back uh, from opportunities to proclaim what is right and good. So 
Daniel interprets another dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and he says this for him. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel gives King Nebuchadnezzar some bad news, and then he says, look, if I can speak humbly, he says, if I can just tell you, repent. We need to speak the words of God, gracious, truthful words of God to those that are in power and not shrink back from doing that. Some of us may be put in a position to influence the public square. God calls uh, certain Christians to lead in, in the public square and through either political positions or, or judicial positions and all those things. But many of us and all of us have that opportunity to speak in our public arenas, whatever they may be, they, we may not, you know, have government positions in this room, um, but we can speak the truth of God in, in public settings. Turn to chapter nine, last one. We'll wrap up. So here in chapter nine, Daniel prays for the Israelites. And much like Nehemiah, <clears throat> Daniel's prayer is, is really, he's interceding on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. And Nehemiah prayed a similar prayer to this. And I won't read the whole thing. It starts in, in, in verse 4. Um, and, and really, you know, it's 20-some 20, 20 verses. But basically, verse 7 he says, O Lord, belongs right, uh, to you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us, open shame. And that was the gist of his prayer, if you can summarize it. He was praising God. You're glorious. You are perfect. You are holy. We, we messed up. We stopped following you. And so I think the last characteristic that we can do is, is to regularly intercede on behalf of our nation and ask God for God's mercy and his forgiveness for our national sins. And you guys know plenty of them. I don't need to go through a list. Um, they're before us. But we also need to be praying as we're doing that for our own personal sins and confessing those as well, which would look different from our national sins in many ways. But we need to, to be people of not being afraid to intercede for our entire nation. That's a bold thing to do, but there's plenty of a couple examples in Scripture of men that were emboldened to do that. And we can be those men too. We need to repent of our national sins and ask for God's mercy and favor in moving forward. And as we're doing that, we don't want to be that Pharisee that thinks God, I thank God that I'm not like those people. And then reminding God of our Christian virtues, right? You know, just like the Pharisee did. I fast, you know, this many times a week and I give. And we don't need to be those type of people. What do we have to offer God from our own efforts? We just need to humbly be before him and say, God, we are part of this as well. So my friends, look, God and his forces are still going to be engaged. They're going to give insight, favor, and fruit at certain times, even if things get more challenging than what they've been traditionally here in America. The last third of Daniel is really interesting reading. You know, there's some encounters. 
that da Daniel has with the, the archangels, Michael and Gabriel, right? And he's, he's praying these prayers that we read in nine. And, and one time Gabriel shows up and says, man, we were, you know, God was answering you right away, but we encountered all this opposition. There's things happening in the heavenlies um, that we don't have the, 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 uh, the ability or privilege to see um, as we're interceding, as we're praying, as we're living our life uh, for righteousness. Um, but all during this time, God's going to give us, there's going to be moments of victory that we will see even in the midst as, as things go on. And so that's really, I hope, my encouragement to you today is, is, is God is still going to be marching us forward victoriously for his kingdom, uh, no matter what the climate is. But our responsibility is always going to be to be faithful, have resolve, have resolve first, be faithful, right? Understand the things around us, what's going on. Understand the word of God first and foremost. Understand the current events and culture and how they fit into that. To not be ones that, 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 that create a bubble where we're 100% removed. We are to be in the world, just not of it. So we need to look for ways that God would have us to influence those who are lost to find the great shepherd. We need to be able to proclaim confidently, boldly, truth, God's word to people who are confused. And we need to intercede for our country and for our own sins. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the great, the rich blessing it is to be in America, Lord. Um, we are so, so, so privileged, so fortunate. We didn't choose to be here. You placed us here. We give you thanks. Lord, with this comes great responsibility. And so, Lord, help us to fulfill those responsibilities. Lord, we recognize that the, uh, the exceptional nature that we've existed in as a country that has uh, just created advantages for Christians, that looks to be diminishing in our time and at a quick pace. But Lord, we know that, that um, you would have us to be faithful at all times, in all conditions. Lord, give us the resolve to do so, even when it becomes increasingly dangerous if that time continues to happen here. Lord, we, we do stand before you today, Lord. We confess our, as a nation, Lord, Lord, our sins. Lord, we, we kill innocent babies. Lord, we flaunt sexual promiscuity. Lord, we deny your existence. We worship your created things, your earth, your environment, over-worshiping you. Lord, we are trying to trick ourselves as a nation that there are more genders than what you created, male and female. We just ask you to have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us. Lord, help us to when we have opportunities to boldly present the truth. Lord, lead us continually in your path of righteousness. Amen.